This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, February 1st, 2024 edition. And yes, that's right. We are into the second month of the year. Uh, a lot of news out today, a lot of market movements to unpack for you. Now, I'm host Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour, as usual, answering your questions and giving you my unbiased perspective. Now, we're going to talk about the market performance today as well as the show topics, but let's hit our first caller question now. Hi, Dave from Ohio. I really appreciate the, the podcast. I listen every evening. I'm looking at a stock, Stanley Black & Decker, symbol is SWK. I know it's a typical stock. Your thoughts and what would be a good entry point? Thanks, and I'll be listening. We had a call about this, I want to say a month or so ago, and this was one of those ones I was pretty torn on because historically, this is a great business, a very good business. For everyone else out there, Stanley Black & Decker, they make tools for professional, industrial, and consumer markets. And it's been a fantastic business. They, their return on equity up until basically 2021 averaged somewhere in the low teens over the last 20, 30 years, low to mid-teens, which is a good business. Yeah, let me back up. It's a good business, not an amazing business, but a good business, okay? And the problem here is that it's fallen on some rough times. And the earnings have fallen from $10.59 in 2021. Now, that was kind of an anomaly, but pre-pandemic, 2019, they're making $8.40. Still good profitability. But in 2023, expected to only make a dollar. 45. Actually, they did release earnings for the fourth quarter. In total, they made a dollar 45. Lost money in the first two quarters of last year. But the last two quarters, they made a dollar five and 92 cents. And this year, they're expected to earn about $4.44 in the same next year. Problem is, it's still trading at $91. So, a business that now has negative growth over the past three, four years and deeply negative growth, even if you go back to pre-pandemic uh, era, this is an expensive stock to be trading at 20-ish times, 21, 22 times forward-looking earnings with negative growth. You might even say, okay, flat growth. This year, next year, is supposed to be equal in their earnings expectations. But still, I'm not paying above market multiples for a low to negative growth business. And that's 
ultimately the issue here. I like the business. And the question is, will they, the positive, the other side of the coin is, can they right themselves? Can they get back to pre-pandemic earnings of $8? They can. This stock is incredibly cheap if they can start trend, trending there, right? Because you're talking about something that's trading around 11 times earnings. It's a big if though. And I usually, in these instances, I just rely on the technicals. I say, is the market starting to believe that reversion to the mean story? Because the mean, and I've talked about this before, a lot of companies have the opposite. Where during the pandemic, their business boomed, and now you're going back to kind of post-pandemic environment, which looks different, but somewhat similar to pre-pandemic business climate. And earnings tends to trend back lower. This is the opposite. It's actually half of what it used to be. And now it needs to trend back to its previous profitability. And that's a big if. Now, the technicals are still neutral. They're still not telling me one way or the other. It's been in a range between $75 and $100 for the past year or so. And while that's okay, that's not terrible, the market hasn't made up its mind. And I would want to wait for a breakout. If you see a breakout to the upside above $100 per share, that's when I would start to say, okay, yes, the market is giving you the signal that that will trend back towards $8. But I'd wait for that. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes or so. And our main focus point is on the new reality for investors and how to think about global investing in an environment that looks a lot more like the 80s and 90s, at least from an inflation and growth perspective. So we're going to talk about the new, new normal. The new normal was coined by... Uh, the Bond King, Bill Gross, there we go, post-financial crisis, the new normal, et cetera. Now we have a new, new normal. So we're going to, we're going to unpack those current market trends, uh, how that relates to global investing and your portfolio strategy. Now we have some color, or we also have other topics on the docket. One is in regards to shipping lanes, shipping lanes. It's been taken for granted that you can just ship anything, anywhere at any time. It was easy to move goods from one country to the next on massive container ships, and nobody was going to stop those ships. Well, things are changing, so we're going to talk about that impact. Also, 15% global minimum tax. This is an international tax deal back in 2021, and we're going to discuss what companies are being hurt the most. And then lastly... What percentage of consumer debt do you think is fixed on a fixed rate versus a variable rate? A lot of people are talking about this. Rates are up and, oh, the consumer is going to crash because of it. Well, it all depends. Do they feel the impact of those higher rates? So we're going to look at that. I look at those numbers as well. We also have some voice bank questions. One is regarding what to do with extra money and McGrath Rent Corp, MGRC. 
and we have an iTunes review question to fit in as well. Now, as we go to a break, I'll ask you, I know I do this all the time, but don't be afraid. Spread the word about Invest Talk. Tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. They can find them anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Leave your question there. We'll answer it on an upcoming show. Now, the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888 99Chart. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. Hi, Will. Hey, hi, Steve. I'm 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now let's take a look at the market performance for today. We had a decidedly solid up day. Market sold off yesterday on the... Fed announcements on poor earnings out of Google and Microsoft. I don't say poor. Uh, earnings disappointments out of those two names. So that really weighed on markets yesterday. But liquidity continues to flow. So you can have one-off days like that, but you have to get follow-through. And we didn't get follow-through today. Now, the S&P, let's see, did it close above? To zoom in here. That's very close. Close right near the highs from yesterday. That high was 4906.75. Oh, it didn't. <laughs> Closed at 4906.19. So didn't close from a technical perspective. You want to see it close above yesterday's high. We closed just below it. So we'll see if we get any follow through to the upside tomorrow. Now, we did get some earnings after hours, and uh, frankly, they were mixed, at least for the big the big tech names. Apple was down on the news, closed the day right around 186. Right now, it's trading about 181, so modest down there. Meta was the big winner so far. That closed the day right around $395 per share. Now, it's at 452. They're announcing a buyback and initiating a dividend, so... Uh, obviously, the mark that that's kind of combined. Those will that will certainly help asset prices generally tomorrow. But you know, these are I, you. I caution investors to not take too much away from after hours moves. They're usually very illiquid, and it's more about how the market digests it throughout the the next day. Um, so 
just wanted to uh, touch on on that because you know Microsoft's a, a pretty good example. Um, day before yesterday, when it had earnings, it fell dramatically, and then it opened well higher um, from its after hours lows. So you know it's an illiquid market. So I don't want to take too much away, but it'll be interesting to see if we get some fall through the upside or the downside because we've had two two days in a row that are pretty diametrically opposed. And so while the market is overbought, you could see a choppy situation. That's that's one thing most investors don't understand is that markets can correct in price. They did that in the late summer last year. Or they can correct in time, meaning they overbought. But if you stay in a range for long enough, suddenly the market's not overbought anymore. And that's just consolidation for that next move higher. So that can be an outcome as well. And I think both are certainly plausible, but very uh, interesting day in markets as uh, we continue, the markets continue to digest the Fed news and frankly, the Treasury news, the Treasury market or Treasury refunding announcement, that was pretty dovish. Because now it's not just the Fed that can be dovish and increase or decrease liquidity is the treasury. Are they issuing more long dated notes? Uh, and that means that that'll pull liquidity out of the market or are they leaning on the the bill side, short-term treasury bills that they're issuing to finance the debt? If they issue, issue more bills, well, that keeps liquidity in the market. And so there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of machinations behind the scenes that have a lot more to do with liquidity than just whether the Fed's raising or lowering rates. So I uh, wanted to touch on that. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we can thank them for the courtesy by getting to the questions quickly. Ecarl389 says, I want to get your thoughts on term oil, term oil, term oil, T O U R M A L I N E is the, the name. The symbol is T R M L F. T R M L F. Let me pull this up here. Probably a foreign name, considering it's five digits or five numbers, excuse me, five numbers, five letters. Uh, let's see. It's a Canadian company. Okay. okay. Canadian oil and gas company. Fairly illiquid. What's the market cap? Okay. 15 billion. So while it's a foreign name, it's still pretty big for $15 billion market cap. That's fine. Uh, it's out of Canada, which means that Canadian companies they tend to have a higher operating leverage to oil prices, meaning meaning they tend to be more volatile than your typical EMP company because of their high cost of production. Oil sands, and it's just more difficult to drill for oil in, uh, in, in Canada. So it's natural that this is kind of underperforming the broad energy sector, but I think other EMP names are are looking better. Um, you, you find similar valuations, enterprise value to EBITDA here for is about four and a half. I see that elsewhere. So I don't see any reason why you want to go to Canada for this name. Uh, its growth isn't better than most. Its profitability isn't better than most. And its valuation isn't better than most. And its chart is certainly not better than most in its industry. So I think you're barking up the wrong tree. Good industry, but not the name that I would pick. Now we're heading into a quick break. We're ready for your calls right now at 888 99 chart. 
This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they implement a very practical investing philosophy independent thinking, shared success. Learn more anytime at investtalk.com. And now Justin's here taking your calls, so step up with your questions, 888-99-CHART. Now, our main focus point concerns this topic. Are we in a new reality for investors? And this not just only applies to growth first value, and we've talked about that many times, how a generally inflationary environment, a higher interest rate environment, that portends well for the value side of the market. And we've seen that since the beginning of 2022. But it also has an impact on foreign stocks as well, foreign equity markets. Now, the U.S. has outperformed by a large margin over the past 10 or 15 years. And that's no coincidence. Right In an era where interest rates were very low, companies that could provide the promise of future growth they did better than most. And where are those countries or companies mainly domiciled? Mostly here in the US. But it doesn't mean that only the best companies are here in the US. There are a lot of great companies overseas as well. For example, luxury goods. How many luxury goods makers are from the United States. Right, we're big in tech and software and maybe energy and various sectors that we're, we're, we're strong in, but the high-end luxury good markets, well, that is a that is an industry that is dominated by European players for the most part. Think of LVMH and their suite of brands. And then there's semiconductors. We know Taiwan, South Korea, they tend to be the ones that do the best in that industry. And aerospace, with Boeing having its poor I want to say poor string of bad luck, but uh, just poor management that's really torpedoed their market share. Now, Airbus is the dominant player in aerospace. And there are a lot of other foreign uh, names that uh, have strong leadership in that space as well. So it can be important to not be myopic and not just follow those recent trends, but Understand that these things ebb and they flow. Foreign equities for a lot of the 90s did very, very well. Because that's where there was a lot of growth, right? The, the fall of the Soviet Union, a lot of companies overseas benefited from the opening up of shipping lanes and the free flow of 
raw materials that came out of the Soviet Union. And so what we're seeing now is more of a normalization in economies that looks similar to what we saw in the 80s and 90s when it comes to growth and inflation and thus interest rates. And we know this has a lot of implications for how companies are valued. So if the cost of capital is something, again, markets will be more selective. And you're already seeing that. Yes, the MAG7 is doing well. But if you look at broader tech, unless you're profitable, you're struggling. And that, that is the same for overseas companies. Yeah, a lot of those don't have as much growth as some of the sexy domestic tech names. But the ones that have very good businesses, that have good cash flows, they're suddenly getting re-rated higher. And so I don't want you all to ignore what is happening overseas. Now, generally, yes, there are risks to overseas investing, especially geopolitical. So you certainly have to be selective. China, for example, while near term, you're, they're getting a boost. Long term, I think they're on a, I don't want to say a path to ruin, but they're on a path that does not look good from a demographic situation, from a debt situation. So you don't necessarily want to just buy foreign stocks blindly. You have to be very selective. But I think many investors are ignoring the values that are overseas. Now, the next invest stock, we'll look into this question. Why is everyone always wrong about the Fed? Traders and the Fed itself are notoriously bad at predicting interest rate moves. So we'll dig into that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your calls right now at 888-99-SHARK. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E. Dot com 
HackerOne.com. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hello, InvestTalk. I had a question for you about where to park extra money after you've already checked boxes like retirement accounts, Roth IRAs. You already have money in a savings account. And, you know, that's where my question comes from is that, you know, currently the savings account I hold in my fiance isn't the best. And so we were looking at vehicles like a high-yield savings account or a money market fund, uh, specifically the uh, Vanguard Federal Money Market Fund. And so my questions would be, you know, how much money or a percent of your portfolio would you put into those? We're not saving for anything. We've already built up a savings, you know, within our bank. And we're just looking to get better yield on that money. And so how much percentage of the portfolio would you allocate to those two? And then if you had a preference between the high-yield savings or money market. Again, just wanted to see which one you had think would be a better vehicle to park that extra money. I'll listen on the podcast with my fiance, trying to get her into your guys' show. And because uh, I really do you know, enjoy it and find value in it. So thanks. I'll listen on the podcast. See you guys. Bye. Appreciate the kind words and glad you're getting a lot out of it. Now, uh, first off, congratulations, maxing out your retirement accounts. Good job. Uh, now it's okay. What is the, the next step? You also sounds like you have an emergency fund. So, you know, you're looking at very short term and those money market accounts, high yield savings accounts. It's a good place to park that emergency fund. Very liquid, safe, right? No volatility. That's where you want the emergency fund to be. Now you're, you talked about your retirement accounts and that's long-term, obviously that's going to be more along the lines of your risk tolerance level and long-term goals. You sound pretty young, so you're probably at least moderately aggressive, maybe even aggressive, okay? Now, the extra money after maxing out those accounts, this is something we kind of talked about yesterday, is there's nothing wrong with a taxable brokerage account, okay? But usually there might be another goal that maybe is more intermediate term. For example, a lot of people have goals of retirement. The two main ones are retirement and emergency fund. Those are the two boxes most people check. The next one is typically buy a home. So are you a homeowner or are you not? If you're looking to buy a home, you know that is more something where your time horizon is more immediate in term. And you want to take some risk with it, but maybe not a ton of risk. Because you can write out some wiggles, but you're going to need that money in the next three, five, seven years. You know, that's kind of the intermediate zone, three to five, three to seven years. Beyond seven, I call that 10 year. I call that long term. Then you can be more aggressive. That's more along the lines of your risk of your retirement account. So that's the question. Do you have one of those? Maybe it's a maybe it's buying a car. Maybe it's going on a trip. Whatever it is, something that is more in their intermediate zone. And then, once again, those can be somewhat appropriate, but you know you can get better yields from, say, a corporate bond fund. 
more volatility, but maybe a short to intermediate term corporate bond fund, better yield you're going to get uh, and keep that locked in for an extent, a, a, a longer period of time. You know, one issues, one of the issues with these short-term money market accounts and high yield savings accounts is, yeah, this Vanguard federal money market account is yielding 5.29% today, but if the Fed cuts rates this year, three times, four times, five times, like this is going to yield closer to 4% by the end of the year and maybe lower. So, Having a corporate bond fund that maybe is closer to the three, five year mark in maturity, that would be uh, a good place to be for kind of intermediate money. Um, but if you don't have any of that, if you just have your retirement goals and your uh, emergency goals, then your asset allocation for that extra money should just go into a taxable brokerage account and invest it similarly to what you're doing with your IRA and Roth IRA. Let's go to Chris in Florida. Well, let's talk about Apple. Um, hey, Justin. I had a question about Apple. I picked it up um, like a year and a half ago or so, and I trimmed some um, before, the, uh, before the downturn in it recently, but um, I was wondering when I should like pick some back up. Well, the support level is the next support level. It, it did have earnings after hours. It's it's down a little bit. Like I said, it's trading about one eighty one at the close today. The next major support is back around the lows from the fall, which was around the one seventy area, and that's where we're looking to get more aggressive to to pick it up. Um, so I might I might wait a little bit uh, until then. Obviously, we have to unpack this earnings report just came out. We haven't been able to, to dig into it, uh, read the press release and the, um, the call, uh, yet, but we'll certainly uh, do that. And, and, uh, there may be some changes there, but ultimately from a technical perspective, 170 is a good support level. Thanks for the call. Now let's talk a little bit about global tax rates. And this was a deal back in 2021. It was an international deal. And it was signed by 140 different jurisdictions. And the goal was to reduce cross-border tax competition. You've seen that with companies setting up shop in Ireland, for example. Lower tax areas. And while that's certainly legal, you know, is that the best global strategy to get people or get companies moving their operations into places that maybe aren't ideal just to avoid the taxes. And obviously it hurts countries that have relatively high taxes. Even if a lot of the value that the company has created over the years and the IP that it's created was produced in their home country. For example, here in the United States, you develop a software, uh, your, your, your team, your infrastructure, your seed capital, all of that happens here in the United States. And then you suddenly make it big, earn a bunch of profits and you move your headquarters over overseas. Is that fair? 
Maybe not. Now, there are companies that are going to be hurt by this, and that's an argument. So that's either here nor there. The reality is that there are companies that have enjoyed single-digit tax rates in some of these foreign countries. And now the minimum is going to be 15%. For example, Johnson & Johnson is one. It looks like there'll be about a 1.5 1, 1. percentage point increase in its total tax rate. You know, these companies, large companies, they're very diverse geographically with different businesses. And so each business kind of pays a different tax based on where revenue is, et cetera. It's very complex. But their average tax rate uh, across their businesses is going to go up by about 1.5%. Other companies that will see their taxes go up this year, Henry Sheen, uh, Teleflex, Edward Life Sciences, Method Electronics, and more. Now, 36 countries of the 140 have implemented this deal so far, and it will it will cover about $810 million of revenue, which is, frankly, isn't that much, okay? So there's more, there are more jurisdictions that need to implement what they've signed, and I think this is going to build over time. Now, the OECD, which kind of spearheaded this whole project, they estimate that businesses altogether will pay an additional tax of between $155 billion and $129 billion annually, an increase of between 6.5 and 8.1% from the current tax payments. So it could be pretty dramatic over time. And this is without the United States and China really implementing this agreement. Now, this will actually... Be inflationary, if you think about it, right? If more and more com companies are being taxed, that's part of their cost of doing business. And they're going to need to earn higher profits to make up for that, which means higher prices. Now, ultimately, this could be very good for the high tax countries. Think the United States. How many companies are going to, instead of taxes being a potential reason for them to move operations, that, that impact is far less. And therefore, it makes more sense to just produce in their home country, closer to their headquarters. And so I actually think this is a net positive for U.S. growth. That's a net negative for consumers. It's a net negative for corporate profits. But it's something that it needs to be considered when you're looking at these companies and looking at previous profit measures and saying, how much will this change impact? their business. How many times have they, how many of their businesses are domiciled in these foreign countries? Like Ireland's a clear red, clear, I don't say red flag, but a clear flag of tax aversion. If a company is domiciled in Ireland, it's pretty much because they want to avoid taxes. Now let's pivot back to the Vestock Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier on 888-99-CHART. Hi, Invest Talk. I had a question. I was monitoring 
one of the stocks I believe you guys own, MGRC, McGrath Rent Corp. I think there was news yesterday that it was going to be acquired. Instantly jumped 10%. It's going to be acquired at $123 per share. What's interesting is that it continues to go up to $126 per share, which is above the acquisition price. So just wondering if you can explain why this happens and if you guys do own the stock, what you plan on doing, or if you don't, what would you do with the stock if you did own it? Thank you very much. Have a good day. Bye. Well, I wish we owned it. We we don't. I'm not sure where you, you heard that, uh, but it's a solid name. Let's see what they do here. Provides relocatable modular buildings, electronic test equipment, and hazardous waste containers. We may have, met, we may have commented on it before. That could be uh, what, what you were thinking. Uh, but yeah, MGRC, it did get a buyout offer uh, a couple of days ago. $123 per share in cash and stock. Now, there, it's currently trading 127 What that is telling you is that either A, the board is not going to approve it, and they're going to probably request a higher price, saying this is not fully valuing our business, etc. That could be one reason. Another could be the market saying someone else is going to swoop in and offer more. Remember, just because they offer to buy out the company doesn't make it so. You need shareholder approval. And that usually takes some time. And so until they get shareholder approval, there could be a competitive offer. So that's what it's telling you. That's why the stock continues to grind higher since then. Now, obviously, they could be wrong. The market could be wrong, and they could just go through at $123 per share. Now, if you own it, then you have to ask yourself, is the market telling? Is, is Are you going to believe the market? I typically like to. You know, this price is not a dramatic premium to its price last Friday before this announcement. It's about a 10% premium. And it's an all-time high, but it's only mo- the, the high in December was $121 per share. So it's barely above its all-time high, this buyout offer. Typically, you get a premium, you call it a, a acquisition premium, where you own, or a control premium, you can own and control the entire business. There's a premium to that. I don't have to answer to shareholders, not have to answer to anybody. We get to do, we bought this company, we get to do whatever we want with it. And there is a premium to that. And typically it's more than 10%. So that's kind of what I think the market is sending, saying, hey, we want 20%, 30%. Maybe come, someone comes in with a higher offer. Now let's grab another caller question at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. Hope you guys are doing well. I have a question about company Teleflex Incorporated, TFX. Just wondering what you guys think of the company and what a good entry point is. Thank you for your help. Take care. All right, looking at Teleflex, Teleflex, and they make disposable medical devices for critical care and surgical uses at about 35 different sites. $11.6 billion market cap, so a mid-cap name. It's 
in seven different segments. So I like that diversity there. Its primary business here is in the United States, which accounts for 60% of its revenue, but it does have 40% of its revenue overseas. I like that. I like that geographic diversity. Uh, take a look at the chart here. It has moved up and it's consolidating here right around $245 per share. I kind of like this. I do. I like the technicals. I like the business. I like that it's geographically diverse. It has minimal debt. It's paying a dividend that certainly is probably going to grow over time. I, I'm giving it a thumbs up. Hellfex, TFX. Now we're heading into a break. We're going to take your calls at 888 chart Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888 99Chart. Hey guys, this is Art from Tucson calling again. Looking at Dominion Energy Inc., ticker symbol D. I have a position in it. I'm down about uh, somewhere around 20%. It does seem to be situated in some areas of expanding population. A lot of its business uh, in the Carolinas, southeast, and also parts of the west that are, are expanding. And just wondering what you think about it here, if I should add to it, or if there's problems with the company I'm not seeing, maybe I should just uh, cut and run. And I'll uh, listen on the podcast. Thanks for all you do. All right, looking at Dominion Energy, it's one of the largest regulated utilities out there, $39 billion market cap, 5.7% dividend yield. And that's what probably looking at and making it uh, attractive. Uh, but it is down substantially from a high around $88 back in early 2022. And now we're at $46. So for utility to have that drawdown, a, a lot of things are going wrong. Uh, now, number one, it looks like is that there is a change in their regulation uh, in New in Virginia, where before they kind of had. Remember, regulated utilities, their profits are are regulated. They can't go too high. They also can't go too low. Well, sometimes you can have regulatory regimes where, hey, the they're allowing pretty decent profitability here. Well, Virginia legislation is bringing the average back into the industry average, closer to the industry average. So that excess returns that they were earning from Virginia are kind of going to be wiped away. So that's number one. Number two is they're doing a lot of offshore wind projects that are becoming very expensive and very risky. And this this is a utility with a lot of debt. And so that is going to weigh on their cash flows and their ability to continue to uh, return cash to shareholders. Their free cash flow is now negative. So yeah, I, I, I worry about a lot of these utilities that are going too far in down the rabbit hole of clean energy projects because there's a lot of upfront expense. And that is why their balance sheets are levered. But that also increase their interest costs over time, especially if interest rates are 
rising. Now, the good thing is that most of their debt is pretty termed out all the way out to they have some debt at 2065 maturity, 2046, 2042. They don't have a lot over the next decade or so. So that's kind of, that is a positive. I should say that it is a positive. But I don't like that risk. I don't like that leverage. I don't like that they are getting into offshore wind, which is very expensive uh, and comes with a lot of, uh, of issues. And so I think there are better utilities out there. Um, now, I will say the technicals are starting to improve. You're getting some strength here. And that would give me the most hope is the technical outlook here um, that it could retrace some of this major loss over the past couple of years. Now, lastly, let's talk a bit about fixed rate debt. Everyone's talking about higher interest rates and how that hurts the consumer. I just talked about with the, with the business. What about a consumer? How much of household debt do you think is fixed rate? You'd probably say it's probably the majority, right? Well, 71% are fixed rate household mortgage debt. Student loans, 9% fixed rate. And other types of loans, auto loans, for example, fixed rate, another 9%. So in total, 89% of consumer debt is fixed rate. Only 11% are variable. Credit card debt, other household debt, HELOCs, etc. So that's one big reason why the economy still kind of chugs along. Because higher interest rates aren't really having an impact on the consumer. They're... Debt servicing costs have remained relatively static, while their earnings in general have gone up. Not just from their job, but their earnings on their cash, for example, their earnings on their investments. And so before you react to higher rates and say, oh, the economy's going to crash, you need to understand the end impact. And on the consumer, it's very, very minimal. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. Remember to follow us on our social media channels on Instagram and YouTube as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights for more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.